Uh, according to the World Health Organization, reproductive health implies that people who are able to have a responsible, uh, satisfying, and s- implies that people are able, should I say, to have a responsible, satisfying, and safe sex life, and that they have the capability to reproduce and the freedom to decide if, when, and how often to do so. Implicit in this right of men and women to be informed of and to have access to safe, effective, affordable, acceptable methods of fertility regulation of their choice and the right to access appropriate health appropriate healthcare services uh, that will enable women to go safely, yes please, through pregnancy and childbirth and provide couples uh, with the best chance of having a healthy baby. Now, during the month of February, the Department of Health as well as other organisations will be focusing on creating uh, awareness issues of good reproductive health outcomes for both men and women of childbearing ages in South Africa. And I'm delighted to say that joining us in studio tonight is one of the country's leading experts, and really, you are in for a treat here, uh, leading experts and voices on reproductive health, uh, Dr. Tleleng Mofoking. Hello, lovely, beautiful lady. Hi, SJ. How are you? I'm excited to be with you. I am so excited that you are in studio. Yeah, amazing. I mean, this this is great. It's lovely to have you on the phone, but the fact that I can reach out and makes all the difference, all right? The difference, yeah, right? yeah. Welcome to Cape Town, my Thank love. you. Thank you. Very hot Cape Town. It is quite warm. <laughs> yeah. It is quite warm. Yeah. Listen, before we start talking, um, Tleleng, about the, about reproductive health and what it means in South Africa, here's something that I've always wanted to ask you. Did you always want to be a doctor? I did, in fact. I don't mm. remember a moment when I had sort of that doubt and, you know, having different options and then decided I'll be a doctor. I've always known. Um, I wanted to be a doctor. My mom always tells a story on how um, growing up, I used to collect the first aid kit, like a DIY first aid kit. And a lot of my pocket money went to bandages in different sizes and colors and shapes. Um, and yeah, so that's what I did. And everyone in our street, in our neighborhood who got injured knew that they have to run to Tlaleng's house. <laughs> and that's sort of basically how it all started. It's just something that I I've broke just my almost ankle. done. Go to the Moffa Games. Yeah. <laughs> Abrasion, go, fall off a bicycle. There you go. <laughs> you know? And in terms of reproductive health, which is really your passion. When mm. when did you realize that that was where you you were going to be have your best mm. fit? I think I always loved women's health, mm. and you know when you're still young in mid school, you always think obstetrics and gynecology is what will bring you the closest to women. Yeah. Um, but as I went through the junior years, I actually realized that what moved me the most was the issue around the you know the health of politics. Mm. Why do women remain sick and get sick? Mm. Um, and 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 then the issues again, of course. I mean at at UK. KZN at the time, um, the country was responding, you know, to the HIV, uh, mm-hmm. you know, health issue. And so I was at the center of that technological, biomedical, you sure. know, response to mm. it. And also clinical where protocols were being, you know, uh, trialed and tested on patients. And so I got to see firsthand as a young doctor without the responsibility of, you know, being the care of the primary yeah. care of the patient where yeah. I could still question. I could still read up on certain things. I could still read, you know, about the history of medicine, for example, and some of the, you know, uh, 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 things that have been done. Uh, and I think specifically to the black population around medicine and healthcare. Oh, sure. So a lot of those questions around consent, around around, um, you know, what does it mean to have people doing research on our bodies at, as African bodies, mm-hmm. as black mm-hmm. women in South Africa? Um, and at the time, of course, the lens was through HIV, right? To then have these vaccines and all of these other treatments developed based on those, you know, uh, 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 data that was being collected from our bodies. Mm. And yet, at the end of the day, for the black South African woman, um, and I'm using that deliberately because it is those who are 100%. depending mostly on the public sector. So when the public sector fails, that that's the big group of people that yeah, it fails. Yeah. And yet they had to sue the government 
to then be able to be given those drugs to prevent mother-to-child transmission. So it's some of those issues around health systems, around the politics of health, around the financing of health and the health models um, that are used in South Africa specifically um, that suppose got me moved. And then I realized obstetrics and gynecology is amazing, but it wouldn't give me this um, other layer that I I have now sort of, you know, uh, uh, processed and become, um, you know, something that's recognizable as reproductive justice um, doctor. Yeah. And I mean, you really, when I say that you are an expert and you are the leading voice, you're also my favorite voice, but you are the, <laughs> I would say so. People, I mean, for a, for a Twitter doctor. Listen, not too shabby, right? Not yes. too shabby. Thanks. <laughs> just have to say a bit of an inside joke. I had to rewatch that interview today and I nearly died. Yeah, but that's just, terrible, that's right? A, yeah. That's a side And note. that's a, some of the things we need to get out. We, need to, we talk, need to, yeah, yeah, we need to talk about that. I should just, I, I say it's an inside joke and you should never have an inside joke on the radio, but I am just going to briefly, without naming any names, um, <laughs> Dr. Kleling did an interview a few months ago. Yeah. Um, on reproductive health and reproductive justice with a gentleman who was perhaps not best informed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I think that the, the benefit that came out of that interview was that it showed it showed that so many people are still so ill-informed and it also gave you the opportunity mm-hmm. to put out the correct mm. information. And so not only are they misinformed, but they are loud in their wrongness. Yeah. And it needs like a tremendous amount of like pulling yourself together within yourself <laughs> and trying to like, you know, not Which make that show. admirably. A- and really try and break down the things and, and, and be strong in your views. Um, because a lot of what we do is evidence-based. A lot of what we do is around research and medicine and the ethics of care, right? And then the human rights. Because at the end of the day, this is about access. Mm and human rights mm. being upheld and protected. So we, we shouldn't be, um, you know, distracted. But unfortunately, people often who misunderstand, who are wrong, who have their, their own agendas, perhaps, mm. are usually loud. Um, and therefore, you, you know, you kind of have to be strategic in terms of how you do that. And it, and it happens in spaces like the United Nations, you know, sure. um, where, I mean, last year in 2008, we spent four days and four nights in New York arguing about the definition of the family because some conservative countries want to limit that to a man married to a woman and that woman bears children. And we like, it's 2018. How are we still having these discussions? Wow. Yeah. Um, and so those are some of the things that you kind of have to be ready for all the time because by default, the minute you mention reproductive health, there's moral judgments, there's mm. connotations to for it. Sure. Um, there's experiences and lived experiences around what that is. There's misogyny. Yeah. Um, we know the gender and racial bias of medicine. Of course. You know, I mean, I always go back to the story of Serena Williams about even with all her money, with all her knowledge, with everything perfectly aligned, she could have still died. Yeah. So what more than of those women who can't afford private care, who don't even know about their bodies and their anatomy and physiology of giving birth, um, who have no uh, uh, audacity, because unfortunately it still requires a lot of audacity Mm-hmm. For you to speak up and say, mm-hmm. look, I am being cared for in a hospital, but something is drastically wrong with me. And it shouldn't take that. So what about those who don't have the audacity to speak up? Yeah. What about those who are geographically far from peri-urban and urban centers? What about those women who unfortunately, um, you know, are, are victims of violence, things like reproductive um, coercion within mm. their relationships and mm. have to hide, you know, their contraceptives. So there is just so much else um, that we, we should be paying attention to that determines health outcomes, but more specifically improved positive outcomes for 
women. I love that we're putting black women also at the centre of this conversation. I was having a conversation with um, a couple of white friends of mine the other day and, exp- and, and talking to them about why, as a black woman, I felt that I wanted my medical professionals to also be black women. And it was quite a difficult conversation, but it was hugely important for me to to at least I can't you can't make somebody understand, of course. Mm-hmm. And if somebody has their own agenda, then perhaps they don't want to understand. But why for me as a 38 year old black woman, it is important for me to see a black female doctor. Yeah. And it's important because a lot of the in work Cape Town. in Cape Town, girl, good luck. Um, so here's the thing. It's so important, and and this is why I mean a lot of what I did, right, um, sort of blossomed online on social media as you know health and, and as a health educator, but it has shaved and and become something around assisting undergraduate medical and nursing students to become the best healthcare professionals, mm. so that. SJ, Etlaleng, and Nadine Dirks can meet any healthcare professional anywhere in the country and firstly be assured that their dignity will be first and foremost, that they will get quality services and that they will be respected. Mm. That's what everybody wants. And the reason why we then become so particular about race and gender and sometimes some very culturally specific um, requirements, it's because you can't take those things for granted, but you should be. Because if you're an undergraduate medical and postgraduate nursing, um, you know, a student, You are there as an expert. Medicine is a science. You are taught skills. There are clinical skills. There's clinical acumen. There's an expertise. And therefore, when you take your car to BMW, you don't say, well, I want one that's owned by a black manager. And da, da, da. You of can course. do it for political sort of black empowerment of reasons. Course, yeah. But in terms of my car needs service, your yeah. car will get serviced by any BMW technician mm. who's an expert, right? And that's what we want. Yeah. Everyone should be able to walk in for healthcare, regardless of what the requirements are, and get that. Mm. Amen. Yeah, 100%. Let's talk reproductive uh, health and reproductive justice. What do we mean? I gave a, a brief intro or uh, 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 the World Health Organization's explanation, but, but break it down for us. When we talk about reproductive health, what are we even talking about? So, I mean, you are right. So reproduction, reproductive health is around the issue of, um, you know, uh, conception. Either you are delaying conception or you have some fertility issues that need to be sorted out. But the idea is that everyone has a right to decide when and how many children they have. Mm. And what happened with the black women in in, in um, America um, is that uh, the, the reproductive justice framework started to take shape. And women like Loretta Ross, mm. uh, the woman of the... Um, Kumbayi River Collection came up with the reproductive justice framework, which took that a step further to say it's one thing to decide when and how many children you want. But reproductive justice says those children also have a right to grow up in safe communities. Mm. I, as the person who's pregnant, have a right to decide if I don't want to be pregnant anymore. And Mm. I have a right to not die during childbirth, as an example, right? Which is why a lot of the things around the world, the WHO, the NUA, our own Department of Health, you know, kind of hone in on the maternal mortality rate as a sign of a health of the health system so if your maternal mortality rate is bad if your mothers are dying and newborns are dying it means really your health system is really terrible how is um, uh, maternal mortality rate in South Africa? it has been declining um, and I think for us again we need to remember with the HIV it made it dramatically worse than it would have been right without the issue of HIV um, decades ago and so if you look you know, in retrospect, with that in mind, it has improved. Uh, but what it doesn't show 
are the details, wow. right? So the fact that the, 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 the improvements are there, but the people who are still dying are still those women who want to end a pregnancy, who don't have literal access to, um, quality services, mm. who unfortunately, because of the judgment, um, and, and the stigma, you know, and then affordability, mm. um, end up unfortunately, you know, with, with people who are selling, um, pills illegally or, or running clinics illegally. So you need to look at the details of which parts of those are improving and declining and which parts of those, um, you know, still need to be looked at. If you look at the issue of um, gender-based violence, mm. rape, for example, mm. we need to start counting how many people are having unwanted pregnancies who couldn't access a termination, who are giving birth and then abandoning those children. Because now we have a problem of toddlers and newborns being wow. abandoned. Yeah. No one is asking what is happening to women. And if you are someone who, as a default, believe that women are hysterical, unreasonable, you just think it's well, it's those women. It's their valley. They, you know, manjalo. That's how they are. Oh, they are this, they are that. But mm. you, you, things happen. Things happen to people. Why would a mother kill four children? Yeah. Yeah. Right? So things are happening to women. There is something that is going on. And no one is asking the right question because we are just wondering to see the trend of the number going down. But what about those, um, you know, where, where stuff happens to them? Are we, are we accounting for them? I'd say no. And if we're not accounting for them, it means you can't quantify it, which means you can't make a plan for it. You can't budget for it. Um, and so that's the problem is that people who are marginalized and vulnerable continue to be marginalized and vulnerable regardless because no one is paying attention to those pressures um, and external forces that impact them. Have we failed in the past to look at them uh, holistically and look at them together and, and marry these issues and marry gender-based violence and marry reproductive health? Are we looking at them in isolation? Is that part of the problem? Yeah, I mean, a lot of academic institutions are doing really wonderful research in South Africa and more and more you find that people are really aware of the fact that we shouldn't all just be doing research in, 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 in silos. We should be linking up issues and sociologists must speak to feminist mm, historians mm. who must speak to clinicians who must speak to legal minds. You know, it's something that we really, uh, uh, you know, have been pushing for, especially in the reproductive justice sector. Mm. Uh, but what's missing is that our policy doesn't react enough to research. Mm. Right. And that's the problem. Um, and so a lot of good stuff is coming through, but it's not being adapted to then have an impact on the end user, which is the patient. So patient's quality of life remains poor despite all the good research. Mm. And that's why I'm always so stubborn about the fact that medicine is a science. We use evidence, you know, mm. there's research to, to, to inform us in yeah. terms of clinical guidelines and problems. Yeah. Uh, or more moralizing or philosophizing, yeah. you know, yeah. this is not what this is. This is a science and we have, you know, a certain base and things that we use to consider. So I think for me, the problem with us in South Africa is that our policy firstly doesn't react quickly enough but secondly we did the big mistake um, at the dawn of democracy but not going through with a fine tooth comb in terms of why were certain health issues written in certain ways in certain policies mm. right why is depo provera what is was the method of choice that the government chose for black communities and specifically black women mm. right we need to ask because if you are a government of modern South Africa in 2019 and your health system still depends on that drug as its primary uh, drug, is the, 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 three the, 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 the three month injection. We need to know the history of South Africa. There's parliamentary records which detail the conversations that were going on in parliament about that specific contraception. So we need to think about how apartheid is itself or the system, but it was in policy. Right. There were systems that were designed by policy, which means there were budgets for it. 
And when there's a budget for it, there's someone in charge making sure that it gets successful and it, it, it's seen through. So in order to undo all those injustices, we have to quantify what the damage was. Mm. We need to be very clear in terms of, you know, I always use the analogy of land and, and, and the bodies, you know, mm. of people in South Africa. Um, and I'll go back to the issue of research and, and extracting mm. data um, on, on black women. Unfortunately, when you are pregnant, we know you've had sex that's unprotected. So yeah. assumptions around HIV and STIs can be made about you. Right. And which is sad because I just feel like a lot of the time we're just extracting data from people. So our bodies have become the new land yeah. where people just come for data. They extract, they go away, they produce what they produce and they come back. And this goes for, you know, um, not just biomedical stuff, but also, um, you know, in academia mm. and, 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 and how much of what we do, do we see it as activism? Do we see it as part of justice? So if you are an engineer, how is what you are doing contributing to a just world? If you're an economist, how is what you, the policy or whatever the health policy or mm. the, you know, financial policies that you're coming with part of justice? And if we can ask each other that question, it means that way we can change systems and not just look at the numbers and trends, mm. but we can look at the root causes and go deeper because that's what we need. South Africa doesn't need any more money to throw at the health system to change things around. We know see my because went yeah, up then. you know, but it's the truth because we see every year how much money is unspent yeah. that has to go back to treasury and be redistributed. So clearly, that money is not the problem. What about the procurement systems? Why is there no internal capacity to ensure that those budgets are spent? Because we know every day people are saying we need ambulances, the queues are too long, we need more nurses, we need more doctors. Right now, the junior interns and, and comserve doctors are not paid. Yeah, you know, um, so that that is a problem, and yet budgets are being sent back unspent. Um, so money is not what, unfortunately, will will solve our problems. But we definitely have to look at the the history of this country and what informed some of the health policies specifically. And to undo that, we're going to have to be honest that some of the apartheid policy around health was designed to not make certain populations count. And that was the black population. And therefore, to undo that, we're going to have to be very deliberate, um, you know, in the efforts. And we're still very much paying the price for the policy from we are yeah. we are and it's it's not just about the the medicine that you are taking when you are sure. sick it's about the spaces literally physically that you occupy right yeah. you have children in Soweto who are growing up and playing in mine dumps yeah. as their playground okay and people are wondering about respiratory and allergic um you know uh, uh, diseases um you have Mitchell's playing right what are what are the health outcomes for those young children before they even enter crash their brain development is already affected what about the dumping that's going on in communities? So it's not just the fact that people are coming to a clinic and they want good services, but it's what's determining their health in the very first place. Why are some children that much taller and others stunted? They, these are the things we need to be asking about. Why are South Africans literally every day having to take out money to buy spinach? Why, why do we not have gardens where people can plant their food and, and eat food from their garden? Mm. Right. And that's why we can't have these discussions, unfortunately, without talking about issues of land and the fact that without land, if you are all building two, I've never seen a three story shack in my life until I went to Alex. If people are building three story shacks, that's a problem. Where, do, where must problem. those people plant food? Yeah. 
right? So everything is linked. Um, and it may seem like perhaps it's distant or far from each other, but they directly have an impact in terms of positive health um, outcomes. Is there any good news in terms of what government is doing around reproductive uh, reproductive health? What what would you say are areas where, I mean, of course, that there are in, enormous challenges, and we'll talk about those in just a moment. But if you were to say, here's what we're doing right, where would you would you po- would you pinpoint anything? Honestly, uh, no. Sure, no. I I mean, if you look at public health information that's coming out, the content, yeah, it's very poor. Um, there was an advert, in fact, funny enough, it was running on Prime Media last year in February, where the minister speaks about the the death rate from unsafe abortion, mm. and they're using a completely wrong statistics, and we're still waiting to hear from them where they found the statistic from. I know I can do the statistics because you kind of have to work it backwards from the global stats, then you take the maternal mortality rate, and you do all of this stuff. But they don't know where they took that stat from, and it's a global generalized Africa stat. It wasn't a South Africa specific stat, and they made it a South exactly Africa, right? About. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And fact check, you know that the organization yeah. fact check actually went in, you, it, and yeah, so. How, how are you then giving out a statement like that and you're paying for airtime on, on, on something that's inaccurate? And then um, if you look at literally the literal access to services that people, um, you know, complain about, the queues are too long. Um, the multiple visits that you need for something like just your chronic medication. It takes a whole day to get a contraception in South Africa. Mm. Which young 22-year-old, 25-year-old, 30-year-old woman in South Africa mm. with the job insecurities that we have has time every three months to take a day off work. Um, The problem, again, of dental care, ophthalmology care, in the elderly and in children, so the extremes of ages, those people usually tend to be forgotten. Mm. Um, Everything that the health system does, unfortunately, is around the HIV lens. If you're not a young woman who doesn't need an HIV test, there isn't much else speaking to you. Mm. So if you have peri or post-menopause woman who needs HRT and you have vaginal dryness, where are you going to go? If you are a transgender man and currently the depot testosterone is out of stock in South Africa, where are you going to go? A transgender woman who still needs um, a prostate exam, where are they going to go? Right? If you are someone who's in a wheelchair, who's living with chronic multiple illnesses, who needs a grant, that sometimes the the, the, the grant uh, 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 station doesn't work or doesn't arrive. You still need transport to get to a clinic. So there isn't like there's these patient transport systems where people that we know are desperately in need of mobility assistance can get to their uh, their treatment. So not only are you disadvantaged in terms of socioeconomically, but you're also disadvantaged in that you can't get a health facility. Mm. Um, and so those things have an impact, you know, just in terms of how we feel about the health system, those who engage with it, um, but also I think generally just reading newspapers, radios, we, we hear it. You know, the linen is dirty. I went to Kalafong last year um, in December, um, you know, to, to see one of the clinics that the, the, the sisters are running there. Um, and the, the rooms where the doctors and the nurses are supposed to rest have fungus on the ceiling and half of it is exposed. The linen itself has fungus. And this is where we are saying healthcare workers must go and rest in between their lunch and tea breaks. So there is so much that is the lunch wrong. and tea breaks that they're having. That yeah, if yeah. they're lucky, yeah. right? Um, and 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 honestly, I mean, imagine if you are a young qualified doctor, you've been studying for seven years. Um, most of those people are on study loans, so it's not like their families have a trust fund where they could have given them money to for January. Mm. 
come end of January, you are not paid your salary. Some of those were on call six times a month. It's So it's very sad. So whether it's human resources, whether it's procurement, whether it's financial management in hospitals, whether it's pharmaceuticals and, and, and stock, and, and it, it just, I, I don't know where I could say it's mm. okay. Mm. Um, and the NHS is not the answer, by the way, but I'm sure you need a break. <laughs> <laughs> if you are just joining us, I'm joined in studio by Dr. Tleleng Morfoking. Uh, and we are talking, who of course is one of the country's leading experts on reproductive health. Uh, the 1st of February marks Reproductive Health Awareness Month. If you have any uh, comments or questions, uh, please do give us a call. 021-446-0567. You can drop us an SMS to 31567 uh, or send a WhatsApp to 072-567-1567. Let's read this WhatsApp. Uh, please, how can it be that you speak so lightly of abortion and unwanted pregnancy? It's murder when you take the life of someone. Pregnancy can be avoided. I'm going to just pass that straight over to you. It's the typical stuff. Um, you know, we need to understand the issue of not wanting to pre- to be pregnant um, as a right of people with uteruses. Mm. Having a uterus doesn't by default mean that every single time I have an orgasm or I have sex, um, I must then be pregnant every single time. Mm. And in fact, if if that's the logic, then it means men shouldn't be allowed to ejaculate because they have more DNA per ejaculate than I do when I ovulate once a month. That's 12 ovulation cycles a year, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So it's autonomy. It's about the fact that this is a human right. It's not, it's not something that we are discussing or asking people to understand or do us a favor with Mm. the fact that I have this body, I can decide on it what to do. Life begins at birth. I love that, that you say that, that you're not, it, it, this person's saying it's, it's murder when you have the life of somebody, but somebody doesn't exist. Somebody Here's is the thing. a I'm, fetus, right? I'm a doctor. There's a woman in front of me, for whatever reason, because in South Africa, between zero and 12 weeks, you don't actually need to give someone a reason. Mm. You can say, I don't want to be pregnant anymore. Can you help me? Mm. That's enough, according to our law. And let's say there is a reason that this person doesn't want to be pregnant anymore. It's not my job as a medical doctor or a clinician, to then judge them on whether the reason is good enough or whether they are this. Because I know firstly that life begins at birth. She's pregnant with a fetus. There's a reason why she doesn't want to be pregnant anymore. And I have clinical medical protocols that guide me on how to help this person. Mm. The same way, by the way, um, the people who object or who obstruct uh, women to want to get the service treat prisoners in hospitals. Mm. When patients come in, because health workers, some health workers say that, right? Oh, no, no, my morals or my conscience will not allow me. The same people in a trauma unit will treat a drunk driver who's been in an accident who killed people. Why is your conscience not objecting then? So the issue of abortion rights and abortion access is directly linked to misogyny. Because the same people would be in an uproar. If Baraguanas Hospital closed for a weekend to people who are drunk, people who are suspected of being drunk, or people who are being brought in by police because they are suspects. Mm. They are real humans. They killed real humans. You worried about a fetus, and I must ignore this human standing in front of me saying, I can't do this. 
And yet the same Was it an SMS or WhatsApp mm. They don't adopt All these children That they are worried about mm. So in fact What they are They and are pro-birth you know, you know me And, my, and I'm going to jump in with, with now my adoption thing And upset another apple cart Adoption is not the solution To unwanted pregnancy It's not On any level It's not Whatsoever It doesn't make sense it Makes no sense and, at all and, and so now you have People who are pro-birthing That's what it is Because if you are pro-life You should be pro-quality of life mm. Because it's not just that they are humans on earth. And that's why we talk about reproductive justice, not just reproductive health. Because health says, well, if you're pregnant, you're pregnant. Um, you must get the best care and, and that's that. Justice says that child has a right to thrive. That child has a right to good nutrition. That child has a right to walk in the street and not be shot at the back by police. That's what justice is about. Mm. And if you are looking for justice as a doctor, Nadine comes and says, I don't want to be pregnant anymore. I'm going to say, how can I help you? And this is the the, the, the information you require to make an informed choice. Mm. That is it. As a medical doctor, that is my job. If they go to their priest, that's a different consultation altogether. Now they can discuss whatever they need to discuss and philosophize and do all of that. But that is not my job mm. as a doctor. Mm. When What for you uh, are some of the... the the biggest challenges in terms of communication strategies when it comes to reproductive justice and reproductive health. Where are we failing in, in that in terms of communicating? I think you can tell that the message is very judgy and moralistic already as it is. Um, I don't think there's enough of affirming messaging. And by affirming messaging, I mean people still don't know they have specific rights. Right. So there's the, the, um, the CSSR center at the Rhodes University did a very fantastic research in Buffalo City, which showed more than 60% of the learners in that, um, primary school setting still didn't know that abortion was, um, legal. So what then tends to happen is that because people think they are doing something wrong and illegal, they go for, uh, backstreet and they're hiding as opposed to coming and just asking for the service. So that's impacting directly behavior. Mm. So if you, you're not using communication and campaigning that tells what people, what their rights are, they also then can advocate themselves because when someone is shouting at you as a young woman who wants contraception or you are a sex worker who's taking two boxes of condoms mm -hmm. instead of just two condoms, mm. but you take in boxes. Mm. People judge you, they ridicule you, they call you names. No one is thinking about, well, maybe this person's occupation is actually sexual pleasure. So all of these impact the ability of people firstly to engage with the system, but to advocate for themselves. Because if you honestly don't know that you have certain rights, how will you fight for them? Mm. And so they, the, the, the issue is, is, is not just around walking into the clinic. So when I arrive home and you've given me treatment for high blood pressure and I'm an older man and, I, and I'm like thinking, no man, there's something wrong with my erections since I started taking these medications. Mm. Who can you go back to to the clinic and say, look, sister or doc, I started this medication for high blood pressure. I find that my erections are actually affected as a result. Can we look at alternatives or is there anything else I can do? Very few people feel that they can do something like that, mm. you know. And unless you are a young person who is sick and ill and diseased and either preventing an STI or preventing pregnancy, the system also doesn't talk to you. What about young people who are blind? Who's giving them health information? Mm. Who's giving young people who are deaf information? These are things that we need to be asking. So if all the vulnerable and marginalized people are remaining in the center, we are not doing the job. Because I, as an able-bodied person, can walk into any clinic and get services.
Young men can walk into any clinic and get services, but they are equivalent. They are peers who are girls. The minute they walk in, they start being called promiscuous. They start being called sluts and everything before they even open their mouth to say why they're at the clinic. Mm. So we need to talk about the gender and racial bias in medicine, but we also need to talk about the education that you are giving our healthcare workers. Um, are they ready? to deal firstly with the South Africa that it is today, and are they then ready to deal with the population? But they can't deal if they never receive um, continuous medical education. So if you graduated 20 years ago, do you know what LGBTIQA++ stands for? And why it's important to still advise lesbian women to have pep smears? Mm. So it's not just about medical education. Personal development of our healthcare workers is important. You have to, you have to, have to, um, invest in the in the mental health and wellness of the healthcare workers because a system that is so broken is only being held by the humans in that system. And if you are not taking care of those humans, they will break one by one, one by one, one by one. And it's also not fair for those people who did take an oath, who are passionate about medicine, to then just keep pushing them to the ultimate just because they are passionate. That's not fair. How do we prioritize uh, the the challenges that are that are being faced? That, I mean, and you are coming up with things here, and I, I thank you so much for coming in. You are coming up with issues here that I, as a, I would like to think, a, a relatively informed, educated person had not even think thought about. I hadn't even thought about. Um, you know, a, a trans woman having to go for a prostate exam. I hadn't, that hadn't even occurred to me. It hadn't occurred to me that we're dealing with, um, perhaps people with learning difficulties and educating them on sexual health. Um, so where do, where does, where do we, not where does one, where do we begin? By What's accepting that we have a broken system. Mm. By continuing to be stubborn about it. Firstly, it means that we can't be making plans to make things better because we are denying that there's a problem. So right. it's just more of the same. That's why I was saying earlier that NHI is not the problem. Throwing more money is not the problem. Changing a name of a broken system is not going to suddenly make it work. If so when um, when um, the, the health minister goes on television and bandies grape-flavoured fla- grape condoms around and banana-flavoured condoms around and says, this is, our bid, this is what we're doing for Reproductive Health Month, you say? <laughs> Please, mm. listen. There was already a male condom available in the market mm. before the four flavored condoms. So now there's five male condoms available. Mm. The FDA last year approved the what was called the female condom now to be called the internal condom because it's now approved for both vaginal and anal sex, right. which is amazing. Yeah. Yet, where have you seen a female condom in South Africa in a public space? Mm. Who are most risk of HIV in South Africa currently? He tells you. Young women between the ages of 14 and 24. So what must they do? The one contraceptive, which is a dual method that they have absolute control over, they can access. So young women that he and all of them accept are mostly at risk. And they will tell about blessers and blessies and all sorts of things, right? Where's the solution that's geared for them? Where are the lubricants? Because the same young women, remember, either on Depo-Provera or a very high-dose triphasic pill, they get vaginal dryness. It impacts the ability to enjoy sex and be lubricated. There is no lubricant that you can get in the public space at the moment. So when young people stop taking contraceptives, because of the side effects, they get shamed because it's directly related to what? Sexual pleasure. Mm. 
oh no no you should be more concerned about finishing school but the truth is guys we are having sex because there is pleasure in it mm. no one has sex to avoid a pregnancy or an STI we are having sex because it's fundamentally pleasurable in the context of STIs in the context of unsupportable pregnancies how do we assist young people firstly if they want to delay they have a right to delay mm. Do we tell them about masturbation and the benefits of masturbation, for example? Do we tell them about other types of sex, which is not penetration, that they can still enjoy? But we don't have these conversations around pleasure. We stigmatize sex to a point where it actually doesn't benefit young people. Because then they, every time they mention the word sex or they want to ask a question, it's as if they are implying that they are already sexually active. We judge them, we shame them, um, and, and we actually out them. How many of us go on family gatherings and someone, you know, starts saying, oh, this one is so fast. She's grown hips now. Oh, her boobs are sticking out. Oh, they are starting with their fastness. So even your body as a young woman who's going through puberty is already problematized, but also hypersexualized. Mm. And so we are actually creating the children who are hypersexual. It's the adults who are doing it. And problem, problematizing natural inquisitiveness that the children have instead of assisting them within the healthy family life of open communication, of trust with caregivers. We actually, and, and the thing is, you know what that is? It's actually because parents don't know what to say to children. Because mm. they themselves are not recipients of comprehensive sexuality education. So instead of saying to a child, listen, I'm actually also not sure. Let's go find out together. You shame you ridicule, you shout at them, why are you asking me that? And where did you see that? Well, clearly they've heard it or seen it somewhere. That's why they are asking. Mm. So that's not the question you should be asking then. It's how do I help this young person? Because by having open communication and honesty that you also don't know, it affirms them when they don't know. And and a boy or a girl is trying to kiss them or get them into a corner and be like, oh no, let's go out or whatever. They can be like, oh, actually not knowing and not being sure is normal. Let me go ask my mom or let me delay this and get assistance. Um, and, and, the, and it feeds in into the psychology, emotional, um, intelligence of young people. And, and there isn't this sex talk because parents don't know the sex talk. It doesn't happen. Um, it's something that's continuous. Just calling anatomy by the, by its name. That's already sex talk. How you react to a child. That's already sex talk. Um, and, and young people have to be assisted again, you know, beside, besides pregnancy STIs. Young people are producing their own pornography through smartphones so we need to protect them in three ways give them information about STIs pregnancy but also how to be cyber intelligent when it comes to erotica because they are all sexting sending news doing videos doing all of all of those things and we're never going to go back to a time when there's no smartphones yeah so we need to start integrating all of that into the life orientation curriculum who's training the teachers are they implementing the national policy on CSE no they're not yet these are all the things. So when you say, where do we start? We start with life orientation in class. We start by training teachers, but we start by giving parents themselves and caregivers the information that they never had. Because it's also un- unfair to expect parents to just be comfortable to talk about sex. It seems like there's this fear that in empowering people, empowering our children, they will go and do the thing that we don't want them to do. But they're already doing. They will do it anyway to prove that you are wrong. Because yeah. remember, you keep demonizing sex. So they will do it and they will find out that it actually feels good. Yeah. Not only will they keep doing it, they will know not to trust you. Hmm. 
Netherlands has done a research. The UK have done research. There's wonderful research coming out of the US, even in South Africa, that shows that not only do you empower young people when you give them information, but in fact, the age of sexual debut gets later in life because there isn't that pressure anymore to be rebellious around adults or authority. Mm. And sex is not demonized. So it's not something they have to prove that, ah, well, actually... You know, all of those things. So it's very, very important. But I think what's also important is if you're thinking of the health system, we need to have condoms freely available in all public spaces. We need the internal condom freely available. We need lubricant because latex on its own is also drying, even if you don't have other mm. problems. Um, we need to have... It seems to be, sorry to interrupt you, my love, there seems to be this, 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 this mentality, this idea that once you start, and, I, and I've had conversations with, with friends about this, that, well, why do we need the lubricant? It seems to be that once you add lubricant, into a conversation there is a suggestion of deviance mm. there is a suggestion of um but well that's just going to add to the pleasure you know like like that's a bad thing again it's the, it's mm. this pleasure thing mm. rather than actually th- this is an, a necessary part of a, a sex- sexual activity and sexual intimacy yeah and it's very important i mean probably lubricant is something that i prescribed the most wow. <laughs> in, in the practice you sure. know um, it's important and I think people forget how many gynecological conditions um, that women generally are dealing with but specifically around the pro- reproductive you know age where estrogen is the dominant hormone mm. and and a lot of those conditions do lead to painful sex do lead to um, dry uh, vagina some medication antidepressants anti um, uh, epileptic medication all of those are drying. If you take flu medication, it's not just going to dry the mucosa in your nose and your mouth. It's mm-hmm. also going to dry your vagina, right? So there's so many uses for a lubricant. And it's not always a sign that there's something wrong with the person who suggests a lubricant. A lubricant is critical for pleasure. If you think of the internal uh, uh, condom, which used to be the female condom, mm. the outer ring is quite big. Which is amazing, though, because if you put lubricant on the outside, the outer ring touches the clitoris. And while you are having sex, you are getting internal and external stimulation. Your chances of orgasm increase. Um, and who doesn't want more wonderful orgasms? I do. But you can't have this conversation. You know why, SJ? Because you would have to admit that sex is pleasurable. pleasurable. And that's why then the information is kept away from young people. Because unfortunately, there's this idea that giving people information makes them want to do something. It doesn't really. You know how to avoid being hijacked. Mm. It doesn't mean now you're going to start being a hijacker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My darling, we've run out of time. And I'm devastated because I could, I mean, you are, you are such a, a fountain of knowledge on this. And I, I, it really has been such a pleasure having you in studio. You've given me so much food for thought. You've made me think about things that I wouldn't have even dreamt of thinking about. Uh, and I'm sure our listeners too. Yeah. I look forward to coming back and people can follow me on Twitter yes. at Dr. Tlaleng, um, for the month of Feb as we highlight different issues. It's at Dr. T. Um, my name is Dr. T. The handle is at is Dr. Tlaleng. It was at Dr. T. I've been, have I been mis, mis, no, but you've been tagging, tagging me. Have I? You've been tagging me, yeah. And then the organization is Nalane. Yes. For reproductive justice. So Nalane for RJ. Next time you come back, I want to talk about Nalane. We will. Please. I'll be back. You will be back. It has been such a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, what an absolute treat uh, to have uh, Dr. Tleleng Mofoging in studio with us. Uh, and uh, she, by her own mouth, she will be back uh, with us.